Welcome to the Christmas service on December 11th. But uh, today's actually a special day. It's my wife's spiritual birthday. I don't know how old she is. Let me do my math real quick. 15, 26, 11. 11, there you go. 11 years old spiritually today. So pretty cool. She's 11, but she acts like she's like 13 spiritually. Uh, good morning. Welcome to the church. Uh, so we're going to have a lesson today. We finished Matthew, which is awesome. We're going to have a Christmas-themed lesson this morning out of Luke chapter 2. Um, the title of my lesson is He's Born in a Manger. Now, what is a manger? We'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, a lot of us hear that word. We see a lot of the pictures. Edwin talked about the nativity scenes. It's funny how you do see the nativity scenes, and it looks a lot like Kansas, you know? Uh, it's like got the cows and the farm animals and the pigs, and you got the hay and everything. And I remember we went to Israel last fall, and I'm like, I don't, it's just rocks everywhere. It's just stone. Uh, there's no hay or cows anywhere, you know? Uh, so some of that's, you know, our, our interpretation of it. Uh, so we're going to get a chance this morning to look at Luke 2 and look at the account of Christ's birth and really what is it supposed to mean. I uh, appreciate Edwin already uh, preparing our hearts, looking at the gold and frankincense and myrrh. Um, as, it, as it were, which is pretty cool. And uh, we're going to look at Christ and really what he's supposed to be. Now, that on the upper left is a Roman crown. Uh, you know, it would have been, obviously, to the Roman Caesar, the king of Rome, uh, who would have ruled all over Rome. Uh, and here we look, at, we look at Christ in Luke chapter 2, and I don't know. There's a lot of familiarity here, you know. We know it, and we all know that familiarity breeds contempt, right? So the more we know something, the more we sort of have contempt for it, uh, which is not good. But Christ knows this. He says it himself that only in his hometown is a prophet without honor. Uh, but a lot was happening here, bigger than we can imagine here in Luke, Luke chapter 2. Uh, you know, my wife was baptized uh, 11 years ago. Today, I was baptized, um, I don't know, 13, 14-ish years ago. can't remember. 2003. So, there you go. What's that? 13. 13. Coming on 14. Uh, so, you know, when, when, you, when you're converted, when you become a disciple, um, everything's new for the most part. Uh, now, a lot of us probably grew up going to church. Uh, so, even though I was familiar with the gospel, I didn't understand it. It wasn't real in my life. I didn't, I didn't know what it was. But Something that I began to really see in Jesus was everything I ever wanted. I had a really poor construction of what it meant to be manly. Uh, I, I was, like most of us, getting informed. My conscience was informed by the world, uh, which told me what it meant to be a man, uh, what it meant to be secure, what it meant to be strong. And for a lot of us, we, we like the idea of strength. We want strength because strength brings security. We like security. Security is also another word for peace. You know, we all, we all just crave peace. We want peace. I know as a man, sometimes we can confuse escapism for peace. Not the same thing. You know, get in a fight with your wife. You just like just say whatever to pacify the situation, right? But just try to just escapism. It's not really peace. But we want peace that will get anything close to it that we can, we can muster. We want security. We just came out of a presidential election. What do both candidates talk about, right? How we can be strong and how we can... How can we have, how can we have, have security as a nation? And 
How can our family be secure? You, can get this, you ever see those commercials that are just like total fear-mongering commercials of like the guy in the black hood sneaking into the house, like, is your child safe? You know? And then it's like, get ADT. Um, or just get the sign to put out front. But get something for <laughs> security, right? Uh, and they totally take, take, you know, access your, your fear senses there. Like, oh, you're, is your family safe? Like, we crave security. We want peace. We want acceptance. When you get accepted by someone, uh, by someone who really knows you, how, that's an awesome feeling. We want acceptance. You know, I remember in the, my teen years, wanting, you know, just to be liked by someone. Just like me back, you know. Uh, there was this, like, super emotional song I used to listen to. I won't sing it. But the premise was, just like me back. You know, that's how I felt. Like, oh, just like me back, please. You know, love me back. And, like, you know, when you're a teenager, you know, your hormones are going crazy. So I was unstable. But I was like, oh, I just want to be loved. I just want to be accepted. I was listening recently to some of the songs I listened to in high school. And I was like, oh, my gosh. These emotional boundaries were not well put up at that time. Uh, this is just all about, anyway, we'll move on. So it's just, you know, it's just all about, it's just emotion, emotion and liking people love, and all this love. Because, well, I wanted security. I wanted peace. Well, guess what? That's not new for all of us. We all want that. People since the beginning of time have wanted that. Uh, when Jesus comes on the scene in Luke chapter 2, he comes into the Roman Empire. Rome is in charge of the whole Mediterranean area. They're the big dogs. They're the big man on campus. Uh, what begins right before Christ, you guys probably heard of him, Julius Caesar at Tu Brute, remember him, right? Gets killed by Brutus. Well, uh, that, that, uh, Caesar actually's grandnephew is Augustus, and Augustus begins the Pax Romana. Pax Romana has to do with, with the, the peace of Rome. And we're going to talk about Augustus in a second, but he comes on the scene, and that, that enacts 220 straight years of relative peace in Rome. And when Augustus comes on the scene, this is a, a Mirian inscription about Augustus. He's Caesar. He's the king of the time when Jesus arrives, right? It says, Divine Augustus Caesar, son of a god, imperator of land and sea, the benefactor and savior of the whole world. Indeed, the name Augustus it's, itself has identified him as possessing divine qualities. So even his name is like, okay, this is your, this is your king. This is your, the benefactor of the world. He's the savior of the world. Uh, here's another, that's actually the Provincial Council of Rome said this about Augustus. Whereas the providence which divinely ordered our lives created with zeal and munificence, the most perfect good for our lives by producing Augustus and filling him with searcher for the benefaction of mankind, sending us and those after us a savior who would put an end to war and establish all things. Wow. So they're saying, listen, this king... This is probably how some of us feel about, our, you know, about the presidential election. Man, he's gonna, he or she's going to change everything. It's going to be awesome if he or she could just be elected, right? This is how they felt about Augustus. He's going to establish all things. There will be an end to war. What did they want? Peace. What did they want? Security. Same thing we want. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, it's, a, it's, a, it's millions of people craving security, and they're being fed by their culture. We got you covered. This guy, Augustus. He's going to bring peace. He's going to bring security. He's going to bring strength. And he's going to do it at the edge of a sword, mind you. So this is what the world is, but this is the same thing the world is teaching us today. It's the same thing. If you watch any show, any TV show, they're all basically the same format, but it's designed to make you feel like if you could have just, just obtained this, you'll be secure. If you could just have this material item, you will be secure. If you could just date someone or get married, you would be secure, man. It would be awesome. 
If you could just get a pay raise or a better job with more flexible hours, or if you could just, and sadly sometimes, if you could just have a different spouse, oh, then everything would be better. Then, man, that's when the chips are going to start falling, and, and we start buying into it. And we think, if I could just obtain this and obtain that, and we, we crave the security and this peace and this strength, but we're eating the, drinking the Kool-Aid the world's given us. Uh, but we're just like the folks here. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, we're going to pick up here. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth into Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David, because he belonged to the house of the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. So I don't know how you guys would respond if you saw somebody coming into town pregnant and they're not married yet. You're, you're, you're inferring something, right? So imagine what Mary and Joseph feel here as they come home to their hometown uh, and Mary's pregnant before their marriage. Uh, verse 6, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, and placed them in a manger. Interesting thing, that Greek there, she uh, wrapped him in cloth and placed them in a manger. The exact same Greek as when Jesus dies. They wrapped him in cloth and placed them in a tomb. Because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news, that word is gospel, I bring you the gospel that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning about what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. That word amazed is also like skeptical. Like, whoa, that's crazy, but I don't know. Uh, they're skeptical a bit. They're amazed. But what's Mary doing in verse 19? But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus. And the name the, name the angel had given him before he was conceived. You know, this is a, a big deal, all of this. I, I, we have to unwrap it a little bit. I don't, we're going to unwrap our Christmas present here, kind of unwrap this package a little bit. So this is, this is a, a, a house, very small, uh, in Palestine at this time. A lot of times, older versions, if you read the King James, the King James is very confusing. Um, King James, along with others, uh, just because it's not a language we really use anymore, uh, it says there was no room at the inn. 
So they, so they had to go to, a, you know, to this place in the, in the manger. They had to go to the, where the animals were. And so we read that, and every movie we've ever seen, right, is like Mary and Joseph knocking on doors, like, is there room at the hotel? And they're like, no. But like David is in the line of, uh, sorry, Joseph's in the line of David in his hometown. Like any door would have opened to them immediately. So it's a bit of a, a reconstruction on our part, which is sadly flawed. But what the word is there is the inn, the Cataluma, is not so much the inn, it's the guest room. It's where the guests stay. So when they come into the house, apparently the guest room is filled. There's no room there. So they got to stay in the stable. On the side, if you step down a few steps, that's where the, all the animals are. You keep animals in the house because it's freezing at night. Animals come in the house. And so basically, yeah, Jesus and his parents are there in the stable on the left with the animals. They're still in the house. There's still people there. They're still giving to them. So it's kind of the same, but just interesting to kind of look at that. Now look at the mangers. So a manger, because the animals are here and the family room's here, and there's a bit of a line of demarcation there, a manger would have been a stone outcarving where you feed the animals. So you pour, you know, whatever food in there, slop or whatever, just kind of, you know, it's just animals are eating out of that, right? So it's a, it's a feeding trough uh, for animals. Those are mangers. So it's not the, not the nicest thing ever for a baby to go into, right? Um, it's not what you would have seen. And so just think if you're a shepherd. By the, by the way, at this time, uh, shepherds in most rabbinical traditions are considered unclean. It's not good. It means you can't go into the temple. So here's Jesus future king, son of the almighty, omnipotent God, being born to a woman out of wedlock, uh, near basically a farm with some shepherds who are unclean, in a house and laid in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. So why in the world, in a time where Augustus is saying, I will bring you peace, I am king, you see Jesus coming this way. Why does it happen that way? Why does God not uh, approach it differently? Like, like so much else we see. Uh, this is a manger, uh, at least the best construction we can have. It's pretty much a carving out of stone or animals. This is what Jesus would have been laid in, uh, is a manger there. And so in Luke 2.1, we begin to think, why does God do it this way? You know, Rome had their own way of doing things. And uh, we know about crucifixion, right? So Rome established power through one way. They said, listen, we're going to conquer you by beating you in war, in battle, we will subjugate you beneath us, and if you step out of line, we will crucify you. Crucifixion was a billboard. Don't mess with us. If you mess with us and rebel, we will kill you. And a lot of us know that it's a slow, painful death. takes days. You can even see birds here. A lot of times scavenger animals finished off the job because it just took forever to die on a cross. It took days to die on a cross. It was, it was, it was terrible. Jesus dies fast because he's flogged. But everybody else here, this is, this is rough. This is awful. And Rome basically builds their empire on fear. Do not mess with us. Fear was their motivation. And a lot of times, that's our motivation too. We are motivated mostly by fear. Because most of the things in the world use fear as a motivator. You know, I have the chance to, I was this way too, even with the youth and family ministry. A lot of times with young boys, what do they do? They joke each other. They put each other down. Well, what is that? Right? Well, it's security. It's, hey, you look whack. Shoes are messed up, man. I don't know. That's my best impersonation of that age. Uh, but what is it? It's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you down so I can feel secure. It's, it's, our, it's our primal instinct. It's our native desire. A lot of us as adults do the same thing. We get cut off in traffic. Well, I'm going to cut you off. I'm going I'm to hurt you. I'm going to use fear. 
to try to bring about a sense of security. Because this is all we know. Your job, if you miss a day at work, there's going to be consequences. We're driven by fear in a lot of things. Most of the things we experience are through fear. That's the way Rome did it. That's the way Augustus was going to continue to do it. I know for myself that that was a prime motivator. And even when I think about God and when I became a disciple, my, one of my prime motivators was fear. I don't want to go to hell. So sure, I'll study the Bible. Do what I got to do. Where's the list? Give it to me. I don't want to experience pain. Even, sadly, even more deceitful, we can think, oh, if I become a Christian, my life will be better. I'm afraid of having a bad life. Therefore, yeah, give, give, me the, give me the list of rules here. What can I do? And then when our lives, to our surprise, don't get better, we blame God and we, and we, we leave. We leave because we think, oh, I, I don't have security. Well, we're going about it the wrong way, you know. Even though we think, a lot of us think God's going to go about enacting the most important mission of all time the same way the Romans did, the same way that we do. But God doesn't do it that way. Praise God, he does not do it that way. We thought he might. If you look at Genesis, uh, you know, Genesis 20, Genesis 19, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? How much power does God have? Two, is it two angels that, that destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? And then when Jesus is being arrested, what does he say? I could call 10,000 legions of angels in Matthew 26 and destroy the world. Like, I have the power. God is the author of our lives, right? God could destroy us as easily as Shakespeare could have destroyed Hamlet. It just would have been, Shakespeare is the author of Hamlet, right? He could have just tossed it away. He could have burned it. But God is the author. God can destroy. God has infinite power. And the more we venture off into space, the infinite amount of galaxies that are out there, becomes, we become more aware of that reality. That we are small. We are a piece of dust that appears for a little while. And then we're gone. And hardly remembered. Maybe to the second or third generation if we're lucky. But we're hardly remembered. God is of infinite power. God has the ability more than anybody else to rule with an iron fist. But he comes and he sends his son who was born in a manger. He sends his son to be born in a manger. We thought God might come the same way the world came. But God is not the world. But we don't understand it even yet, do we? What does John 1 say? The light has come into the world, but the darkness has not understood it. Darkness doesn't get it. You ever live your life as a disciple and people don't get it? People don't understand it. And darkness doesn't understand it. You know, some of us this morning, I want to encourage you, if you have grown up around the church or grown up around Christianity, but, but you yourself are not a committed disciple. You've not repented. You still live in sin. You, don't, you haven't submitted to Christ's lordship. I want to encourage you. Are you still motivated by fear? Are you motivated to do things out of fear of punishment? For those that are disciples... Why do you do what you do? Do you live out of fear? Do you act as if God is Caesar Augustus? On the right, on your right, is Caesar Augustus. Uh, on the left is a prophecy from Daniel 2 uh, that a statue would come, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and all those are the kingdoms of the world. The gold, the clay, the, 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 uh, the iron... And remember what's going to happen to the statue? A little rock. It's going to be cut out of a bigger rock. See at the bottom there? It's going to destroy the statue. The power of the world, the mightiness of the world, is going to be destroyed by a little rock. Because he is born in a manger. You know, God did not come to establish fear in our hearts. 
Why didn't he? Why didn't God come down to earth and like kill off like all the sinners and say, this is an example for you? That's what anybody else would have done, right? Any empire to make an example, to establish fear in us. A lot of us grew up with parents that instilled a lot of fear in us to do what's right or wrong. They used fear as a tactic. Now, this is not what God does. This is not the Lord that came to us. I want you to imagine that night. These are shepherds who probably are rejects of society. They're not allowed in the temple. They're not allowed to go to church, essentially. Right? An angel comes, and it says they're terrified because they're just like you. They think God's coming the same way the world comes, in fear, to establish fear. They're just like us. So the shepherds, are, they're, this is, they're terrified. What does the angel say? Do not be afraid. But your Savior's come, and he's wrapped in swaddling clothes and in a manger. <laughs> they're probably like, say again? The Savior, the King? Because we can think of Caesar Augustus. That's our king. He is the biggest empire in the world. We have peace, right? They said, no, no, no. He says, your Savior's come. He's in a manger. Go see him. You know, go worship him. And I bet at first they're confused, but you can see they're pumped up. They go into town. What are they, they're telling everybody. They're sharing their faith before there's even Jesus existing. They're evangelizing before Christ, you know, was a few days old, right? They're pumped up because they realize God revealed himself to me. The shepherd, the reject, the, the afterthought. God came to me to go see Jesus in a manger. So they're excited because when we are motivated by grace, joy follows automatically. Edwin's already shared this with us. Those two things are intertwined. When we're motivated by fear, we become robotic. We show up, but we just complain a lot, or we talk about our issues more than we do about what the good things that have happened. We're grumpy. We're scrooges. It's all fear. We put people down instead of lift them up. You know, the world puts us down every day, church. I want to encourage us to lift each other up every day. We get beat down by the world enough. Don't, don't beat down each other in here. Let's lift each other up. There's not many things we're encouraged to do daily in the Bible, but we are encouraged to, uh, to do that daily, to encourage each other daily. Uh, Hebrews 3, right? Do it daily, as long as it is called today. Uh, but I want to encourage us. Are we motivated by by, by God showing himself to us? Or are we motivated by fear? And so the shepherds show up, and they're excited. And they share this good news, and everyone's not believing it. It says they're amazed, but they're kind of like, eh, maybe these shepherd guys, I don't know if they got it on straight. You're telling me the king is in a farmhouse in an animal's feeding mechanism. Okay, maybe, right? Maybe. It says Mary treasured it in her heart. I love that. She heard it, she treasured it. That's what studying the Bible is, right? We hear, we, uh, I, know, I know about Jesus. I know I've, I've been to church. I heard this before. But do you treasure it in your heart? Do you hear it and do you treasure it? And do you value it? Maybe you're close to becoming a disciple. Maybe you've been studying the Bible. Are you treasuring what you're learning? Or is it just, ah, I know that, I've heard that. I'm amazed, but I'm, eh, whatever. I'll wait and see on this one. The shepherds show up, and they're so excited, right? And they're telling everybody. And there's Mary with her, with her son. What's Jesus mean? God with us. What's the name of God's son? Not 
almighty and I'll put you down and I'm better than you and superior. And that's not the name of God. Omnipotent, all-powerful, Yahweh's son is God with us. That's the name. That's his name. That's his purpose. God's with us, church. God has seen you. You know, a lot of us, we're, we're insecure about new interactions because we're like, is this person going to accept me or not? And how do I act? And we get weird, and I can be weird at first interactions. I have a, I have a long line of really poor first uh, impressions. <laughs> I've had, I, uh, it's funny. I could probably go through a lot of my best friends. And they're like, I did not like you at all for a while, right? It's just bad first impressions for me. Um, but a lot of that's insecurity. Is, is this person going to accept me? But no one really quite knows all our junk, all our nastiness, the things that we don't even want to think about because it causes discomfort and embarrassment, humiliation, the times that we've been sexually explicit, the times that we've only thought of ourselves, the times we've given in to look at pornography, or the times that we've used drugs, the times that we've actually uh, been violent, had fits of rage and anger, the times that we've been arrogant beyond all belief, looking down on others and prideful. God knows the extent of that. You don't even know the extent of your own sin. I forget my sin sometimes. People tell me things I said to them once, and I'm like, I forgot that. That's terrible. Like, you know, like, I'm sorry. It was 10 years ago, but I'm sorry. Like, I forgot that, but God knows that. But God still sent Jesus to be born in a manger. The mission was always a mission of submission. It always was. We're constantly trying to elevate ourselves, but I want to encourage this church, is your mission a mission of submission? It was always Christ's. It was always God's plan to have a mission of submission. But we get so insecure and fearful. We fear these things. We're, we're so afraid of them. We're driven by it. We get obsessed with what people think. And I want to encourage this church, these, these shepherds. Let's look at them and see the power of the gospel. Let's see it. When's the last time you were joyful like that? When's the last time you shared your faith like that? When's the last time you were encouraging like that? These shepherds encouraged Mary. She was, she was built up, right? She was pumped. When's the last time we, we lived like that? And is, if, if we haven't lived like that recently, we've just been focused on all these negatives and all these things that are going wrong and complaining about others. I just feel guilty all the time. I think we're missing something. I think we're missing a very important aspect of what God came to do. This passage is littered with it. It's littered with it. We have these expectations. The Lord came to establish relationships with you. You don't establish any kind of relationship of quality on fear. Right? You don't. You can get obedience out of fear. You can get robotic acquiescence out of fear. But you, you will not get a relationship out of fear. You will not get a covenant relationship. God did not come so that we will obey in robotic adherence. God came to establish a relationship with you. He, he wanted to hear what you're going through. He wants to hear what you're going through. He wants to hear your struggles. That's what prayer really is. Prayer is not mostly petition. God wants to hear it. How you doing? How you doing today? What's going on? You know, God wants a relationship, and God knows that you do not establish a relationship on fear, so he sent his son to be with us. Now, it's very ominous that this is very similar to the end of Christ's life. 
right? Very similar in terms of being wrapped in linen cloth, put in a, instead of a manger, which is kind of embarrassing, put in a tomb for a criminal's death with nobody there, which is kind of embarrassing. A few women show up Sunday morning, amen, but the apostles aren't there. Jesus is alone. He's chosen to submit himself for you, knowing that you would abandon him, knowing that you would reject him, knowing that you would fail. But that's love, isn't it? Isn't that unconditional love? And it shouldn't cause guilt in us. It should cause uh, excitement. Someone finally loves you unconditionally. No one does. Spoiler alert. No one loves you unconditionally. It's impossible as humans. We can't. There's too many conditions. Right? The fact that you're not an axe murderer is a condition um, that I like you. Uh, that's a condition of me caring about you, right? So we have conditions. We have conditions, but God has no conditions. Well, if someone finally loves you unconditionally, yet you're still dragging your feet in the Bible studies. You still won't commit to becoming a disciple truly. You still only come to church every now and again when it suits you and your schedule. You still only really talk to people at church that you like. Uh, you don't talk to the people that maybe you don't necessarily jive with all that easy. You still treat your wife with disdain. You know, you, you, there's no mission of submission. You know, talk to the Marys for a second. You know, let's, if we had a mission of submission with, for each other, for our wives, what would that look like? If your mission was to submit to your wife. Now, I know the wife's role is to submit. Amen. That's under the umbrella of the Ephesians 5, right? Submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. So, yes, my wife, yes, she submits to my leadership, but I also submit to the way she needs to be loved. She needs to be loved in a certain way. She needs to be taken care of as the fine china that she is. i got to submit to that. I can't lord it over her like, like the Gentiles do. We've got we to well, we strengthen our marriages, church. You know, talk to the, you know, the campus ministry. Are you motivated by fear, fear or love? You know, break's coming up. It's a month. You're going to go home and realize that, you know what, if I actually don't do anything, no one's going to call me out. You know, if I don't actually go to church, no one's going to really know. You know, if I don't reach out to anybody, if I just kind of veg out and do this, no one's going to, you know what, so we're driven by fear. Oh, I don't want to mess up. No. But how, what if you actually stayed connected to the body? What if you actually grew over Christmas break spiritually? Instead of come back limping like most folks do. Come back struggling. Gasping for air. Come back strong in January. What if, it was that, what if that was the case? Come back and you actually reached out to somebody at home. If you actually shared your faith while you weren't on campus. That would be insane. But I think God can do it. I think he can do it. You know, we got to reassess our hearts. So we have a mission for submission. Do we realize that God was born in a manger? The omnipotent Lord was born in a manger. You know, all the non-Christians out there, maybe you're a Christian in identity, but not in definition. Uh, but I want to encourage you to study the Bible, to become a Christian, to get baptized, to repent. Leave it all out there. Go for it. There's no qualifications except that you need to repent. You don't have to be perfect. Just realize that you've got to die to yourself. Accept that realization, and everything else is easy. You know, God appeared. God, God's made it easy for all of us. How does Jesus die? The temple of the... Uh, the curtain of the temple is torn in two. The whole point of all this, this life of Christ, is to send God to us. We have access. We have total access to God at any time we want. What do you think you'll find out there? Except more fear, more insecurity, and ever, uh, ever increasingly more clever ways to mask it. Oh, this is actually really wise, and this is actually a really way to go about life. And, you know, God's seen it all. 
Augustus thought he had it figured out. This guy, is, this guy said he was the savior of the world. Said he, his, his nickname was Divi Filius. It was on the denarius. That's why the Jews didn't use it. It actually meant son of God. Caesar was like, I'm the son of God. Right? That's 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago. That's, that's pride, but sometimes we have the same kind of pride uh, in our own hearts. What do we think we'll find out there, church? Except more fear. And maybe we'll get things done, and maybe you'll get the things you want, but there will only be the cold realization that it's all empty, it's all nothingness. Remember Solomon at the end of Ecclesiastes? He's like, I have the money, I've had the wives, I've had the relationships, I've had business ventures that are amazing. It's nothing. It's nothing. What are the last words of that book? Remember the Lord, because he sees everything. It's like, ooh, scary. A guy who had everything says, remember the Lord. Because he sees it. That's perspective. Uh, what do you think you're going to find out there? I think it's going to make you happy. You know, being a, becoming a Christian has brought me more peace and security than I could ever imagine. I used to be so insecure about the idea of a relationship uh, with any woman, any girl. I, I didn't even fathom it possible. I thought, man, if a girl really knew me, she gonna, it's just going to be, it's not going to be good. There's too much in there that, that's, she can't accept this. She can't accept it, you know, but... But in Christ, it is possible. You know, I, all, we could go on and on about what the gr- amazing things that God gives us, but it only happens, church, if we humble out. Let's take a, a lesson from the shepherds, and let's have a mission for submission. Let's take a lesson from Christ. When's the last time you were, you know, metaphorically born in a manger, you know? When's the last time you lowered yourself to connect to somebody? When's the, and it, it's, an, it's an active, pro, it's a proactive thing. It doesn't just, if it happens accidentally, it doesn't count. You gotta actually do it. You gotta actually make a plan. I'm actually going to swallow my pride and lower myself because Christ did it for me. You know what? Sharing my faith is kind of embarrassing. Who cares? Christ did it for me. You know what? Doing that with my husband or wife, I don't really enjoy that. I don't really wanna do that. Who cares? Christ did it for me. You know what? We've talked to this brother or sister for a hundred times about this specific sin, and they will not change. I've given my heart to them. Well, Christ did it for me. He was born in a manger. The life he lived, the life of an illegitimate son. He can't inherit anything, Christ. He has no inheritance. Isaiah 53 talks about that because he's an illegitimate child. He's made fun of for it. We see that in Mark 6. People make fun of him, call him Mary's son. That's a joke back then because you wouldn't have said that. You would have said the father. But to say Mary's son is to draw attention to the fact that his mother was, had illicit sexual behavior. That's, what they, that's how the world viewed it. I want to encourage us, church. As we leave here, you know, today is not the day Jesus was born, but neither was December 25th. Um, we don't know when he was born, but we get it. it's special, I think, to pick a day and, and celebrate it. I think it's a good thing. And on that day, I want to encourage us to have a godly perspective. And I want to challenge us to one thing. Uh, perhaps instead of saying Merry Christmas, uh, we can say to each other, Christ is born, and respond, he is born in a manger. And if we could just have a, a glimpse of Christ on that day. Christ is born, he's born in a manger, to remind us of what this is really all about. Yes, it's a Merry Christmas. Uh, you know, yes, God bless us, everyone, in these things. But I think the, the point is that if we can remember Christ and that his mission was humility, it was a mission for submission, that that's our mission too. And that if Christ brought himself to you, if God had the opportunity to rule with an iron fist, yet did not, 
if God has the ability to wipe out all of existence the second you offend him, but does not, if God has the power to destroy galaxies upon galaxies to the infinite degree, but has chosen to be born in a manger, what can stand in our way? What can stop you from being bold in your life? What can stop you from forgiving? What can stop you from loving? What can stop you from sharing your faith? What can stop you from growing in spiritual ways that you had never even imagined? If God is for us, no one can be against us. That Caesar and all his power, the Son of God, he died. He's dead. Christ is not dead. Death has no hold on him. The king who was born in a manger has won. Not the king who was born in the pearly temple, you know, with all the, all adorned with all the, you know, magnificence of Rome. He's dead, but Christ is alive. I encourage you to believe it. I encourage you to have a mission for submission and to remember that our Lord, the omnipotent God, is born in a manger. Amen, and to God be the glory.